If you have your Bibles with you this morning, will you please open them up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 22 to 25. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 22 to 25. Man, I feel the Lord has got something to say to us this morning. We've just come out of our Christmas series, for those of you who might be visiting and uh, our Christmas series this year was called Christmas 2.0. We, we focused on the coming of Christ, the first coming, but we also looked at the second coming of Jesus. Um, but when we spoke about the first coming of Jesus, we mentioned that when Christ came for the first time, he didn't come haphazardly. He didn't come randomly just for a time out to figure out how these humans lived. He came with a plan. He came on a mission. He came with a rescue plan. We, we see Jesus say this in Mark 10, verse 45. He says this incredible statement. Listen to what he says. This is Jesus talking. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Man, it's incredible. I mean, let's just stop for a moment and consider this. This is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. This is the very God who has spoke and creation came into being. He holds the universe in his hands. He controls it. He runs it. He is sovereign over it. He has in heaven on his throne, he has uh, angels who are designated to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of mighty. And when he comes and breaks into the universe onto the small rock called earth, which he had made, he came not to be worshipped. Oh man, that's amazing. But rather he says he came to serve. How did he come to serve? Well, he says, I came to serve to give my life as a ransom for many. And when we use the ransom nowadays, I mean, we, we do, we, we understand what it kind of means. It's, we, particularly in the series and the movies we watch when someone gets kidnapped, there's a ransom that needs to be paid. And, and we, we grasp and understand it. But when scripture talks about ransom, what it is he's talking about here is he's talking about paying a fee, which is very similar to what we understand, to set free a slave or a prisoner. So the person, the ransomer, the person with the money would come along and he would pay the value of the slave in which the owner thought he was worth or the prisoner. And so they would pay that value or he would pay the debt in which they owed. And that was the reason why they were slaves or prisoners. You following me here? And so as he would come and do that, he would pay the price to set them free. Now, Jesus says, man, I've come to set you free from slavery. I've come to do that. But slavery from what? Romans 6 tells us that we are a slave to sin. And man, he, we, we are a slave to sin. Now, this is problematic for us because what this is, is us a slave to sin. And we've got this massive price in which we pay in which we can't. And what is that price? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The price in which we have to pay is death. Man, that's problematic. And so we can look to somebody else to pay the price for us. But as we look around this room and as we look around the world, what we find, we find other people who are on the same debt. There's no one who can set us free. So Christ breaks into the world so that he might live a life like man and so that he might pay the price in which we could not pay. He dies on the cross for us. And as he dies, our sin is laid on his shoulders and the wrath of God is poured out upon him. And in that moment, what happens is our sin is paid for. That's incredible. And Christ dies and he rises again. But the amazing work of what Jesus does is that he, he does not only just set us free from sin, but he saves us into something. That's what we spoke about this morning. 
Spot on. Christ did not just come to set us free from sin so that he must save us from hell, but he came to set us free from those things, but he brings us into something. We see in Romans 8 that he brings us as sons and daughters of the living God. He, he adopts us into his family to all those who will believe in Jesus. And so, man, my heart for you this morning is that you would realize the magnitude of what Christ has done for you. What he has opened up for you. He has opened up for you that you might have a relationship with God, not just on a buddy-buddy type level, but you would have a relationship with God, one of father or son and daughter. And you would enjoy the riches and the pleasures that come with knowing this great God. As Psalm 16 verse 11 says, um, that in the presence of God, there's a fullness of joy. And his right hands are pleasures forevermore. And so there is this magnitude, this open way for you to now know God that is so great. That is greater than anything else the world has to offer. And it is yours in Christ. And you get to have it. You get to take hold of it. It is sure. It is lasting. It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on Jesus. This is all that you have in Christ. Isn't that great? And so as I've been praying and preparing this week, I've been wanting, Lord, help us as a church to, to take hold of all that you have given us. To live in it. And the passage that we have this morning, the rites of Hebrews, just says, now that you have this way to God, and it's freely given to you in Christ, what should we do with it? How do we live in this wonderful privilege? So have that in mind as we unpack uh, Hebrews 10 verses 22 to 23. Let us read. It says this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. There, I'm going to stop there. As, as you, we read this, we will notice there are three let us. These are in light of this great privilege. Let us. Let us, let us. These are the three things we're going to be unpacking this morning. So we've just read the first one. Let us draw near. The, the next one in verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet as in the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the uh, day drawing near. The rites of Hebrews starts this off by going, man, we have this amazing privilege in Christ. Now let us draw near. And if you wouldn't mind uh, me this morning for one brief moment to become a little bit academic or technical, the, the word draw near here is what we would call in the present continuous tense. Now I'm not going to get more complicated than that this morning, I promise. But it means to continually in the present draw near. He's not saying draw near now and again. Draw near on the odd occasion. He said, man, you have this wonderful honor and privilege to be in God's presence. Continually draw near. As long as it is the present, draw near to him. Take every opportunity that you have to draw near to God. Milk it. You have this incredible honor and privilege. Milk it, abuse it as much as you can. Make sure you draw into the presence of God because it would be mad not to. Now, might I suggest to you 
that drawing near into the presence of God is not just attending church on a Sunday. It's not. And, and may, may you not hear what I'm not saying. Coming to church is vital. Man, it's one of God's uh, ordained graces that he says when we as the body of Christ, uh, his sons and daughters gather to worship him and hear his word preached, that he would allow his presence to be there. This is an extremely important aspect. But it cannot just be this. Why? Because it's a continually drawing year. This is a few hours in one day a week. Not always. But yet here we are, continually draw near to him. Church, God's presence is not just in a location. It's not. He's here this morning because we have gathered to worship him and be here. But when we all leave, the the tangible presence of God is not here. His his presence is always around, but his tangible feeling is not. And, And so I want you to know that in your car on the way here, you can experience God as just as much as you can here. Just as much. You can, you can rock up here on a, on a Tuesday morning and we are uh, currently, this is our offices because the other ones are still being built and you can come and hang out here and you can check in the prayer room at the bank. God's not just having a cup of coffee hanging out. He's also with you wherever you are and you can experience him and draw near to him wherever you are. The, the argument of location is an old one. It's one that Jesus disproved. Remember the uh, Samaritan woman at the well? where Jesus is having a conversation with her. He asks her for water and uh, he starts touching hearty, feely stuff. So she runs up into her mind and she starts getting all technical. And she says, well, man, the Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem, but we say as the Samaritans, we should worship on this mountain, but we don't really know. And one day we'll find out. And God goes, Jesus goes, no, hang on, hang on. You're confused. It's not about place. It's about hearts. It's about the state of the heart. We all worship in spirit and truth. And so there is this need for us to continually draw near to God with the right hearts. We see this, draw near to him with the true or a sincere heart. So how then do we draw near? How then do we do it? I think if we're going to get this right, there needs to be, um, we need to ask the question, what stirs in my heart affections for Christ? What is there in my life that stirs up affections in my heart. What are the things that I do? What are the things that I hear? What are the things that I, um, who I'm around? What are those things? When I think about them, stir up affections in my heart. And we need to figure these out and write a list and, and do them. And I, I, as I was preparing for the sermon, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get everyone there. Let's go home and write a list because it's a good thing I realized I hadn't written a list. And so I started putting some together for, for you to, to, to think about. And, and the first one that I have, and these, I mean, these are, some of these are weird, but they stir up affections in my heart. Some of them are, you go, ah, I can get that, but some of them you're going, really, Joe? Yeah, let me listen to some. Man, I, when I intentionally go away on holiday to seek God, this seems like a normal one, man, it stirs up affections in my heart. I've been married now for three and a half years. That's right, love? Three and a half years. Okay, um, well, I've been married around that. I mean, it's only three and a half years and I'm already forgetting. Um, but I've been married around about that long. And, and we've, Alyssa and I have gone away a number of times, a whole lot less since my son has been born. Actually, we haven't since he's been born. Um, but we now and again go away to get away. And there's been two occasions where I've just gone, love, I know we've gone to get rest and just to hang out. But man, there's, I just need to seek the Lord intentionally while we're away. 
I just need to spend as much time reading his word, much time praying, as much time reading books that I feel the Lord's laid on my heart to read. And there's been two occasions. One, we went to Hogsback and life was difficult and hard. It was, I was really questioning God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Where do you want me in life? What are these things that are going on? And, and while we were there, as we sitting at Hogsback, I felt the Lord say to me, Joe, I'm good. Oh man, it just stirred in my heart. He said, Joe, I am good. You got to not look at your circumstance and then determine what character, I, who I am, but rather look at me and then look at your circumstance. I am good. So you can trust me in this rough time. Know that I am good towards you. Oh man, that buzzed me and got me excited to continue on going. There was another time when we were in Stutterheim at the Shire, great little place. And I, this was different. That was encouragement. This time I was spending time with the Lord. I was weary. I was tired. And I just said, Lord, what, what are you saying to me? He said, Joe, check your heart. And as I did it, he, he revealed to me sin of unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart. That had an anger that had stirred up. And he said to me these words that gave me a little bit of a kick in the pants. He said to me, Joe, you are a worse man off at the end of this year than you were when you started. And as I repented and, and asked the Lord to forgive me, man, he placed a desire in my heart for more of Christ, for more of him. This, this stirs something in me. It stirs affections for me in my heart when I go away and I seek it. Now, this may be a whole lot less spiritual, but I wake up and I, and I do a quiet time. And I go and sit down on a couch. I wrap a blanket around my pants, the coldness of the couch against my, my skin with a pillow on my lap with a cup of coffee. There's something about that. That gets me excited, that stirs up affections in my heart. Going for a swim in Ganubis River and floating down and the peace that just runs over my soul stirs up affections for me in Christ. When I think of friends, I was in the spa the other day and I ran into, I saw someone in the distance and I thought, oh man, there's Teddy. But then I remember Teddy had died years ago. And what it does for me when I realize that I'm, only, I'm 28 years old. And I remember that there are friends in my life, colleagues, guys I went to class with that are dead. I can list around about 10. Man, it, it, it stirs an affection in my heart because I'm fearful that I would waste the little bit of life that I have. And so it gets me riled up. Lord, help me to live as much as I can for your glory with the little time that I might have left. When I look at my son, man, and I'm lazy and I don't want to do my quiet time and I don't want to do those things. And I see him and I, I want him to be a godly man. I, I want him to grasp who Christ is. It stirs up in my heart a desire to live for Christ more so that he might see it and hopefully I might model something. Hopefully he will grasp, but it stirs up an affection for Christ in my heart that I would pray sincerely, that I would devour this book because it stirs something there. Man, it, it could be as simple as just reading a new book or, or I love the Psalms. Don't get me wrong, I love Romans, I love everything else, but the Psalms is something in it that stirs an affection in my heart. It can be something as silly as using highlighters when I use my Bible. I'm not a stationary type guy, but when I sit down, and I'm about to highlight, oh, it gets me excited. It stirs something in me. Church, what is it that stirs your affections for Christ? Figure it out. Do them so that you might draw near to God. And hear me here. We are all created differently. There's no right or wrong in how this goes. Now, 
Now, don't hear what I'm saying. not saying here. There is definitely right and wrong. If you're saying, Joe, having an affair with my secretary stirs up affections in my heart, you're wrong. It's definitely right or wrong. But here we talk, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about drawing near to God. And, and there are some foundationals that need to be in place. You need to spend time in God's word and you need to pray. Those who are in it. You need to devour this book. You need to learn how to pray and pray well and regularly. But those are the means in which we use. But they're things that stir up affections. What are those? Write them down. Do them. And it would be wrong for me to say, if you came to me this morning and said, Joe, man, my time and my affections for Christ is little. I'll say, do you have a quiet time in the morning? He said, yes. I said, do you have a couch that you sit on? Yes, I do. Do you wrap yourself in a blanket? Yes, I do. Do you put a cushion on your on your, on your your lap? Yes, I do. Do you have a cup of coffee? No. <laughs> it's the coffee. Problem solved. No. What is it for you? Let it stir it up in you. Do them often and regularly as you possibly can. The reason why having a cushion and coffee and wrapped in blankets and sitting on the couch does something for me is because that's what my grandfather did. And when I was young, I'd run into his room and I would see him doing it. And so for me, that just gets me ready. It might do nothing for you. What stirs your heart? And, and I guess the opposite needs to be true as well. We need to write a list of what robs our affections for Christ. What takes it away? Now, out off the bat, anything that is sinful robs your affections for Jesus. It just does. But there are things in your life that you do that aren't necessarily sinful, but yet aren't beneficial in your pursuit of Christ. We see this in Hebrews 12 verses 1. He says, let us run this race of endurance. But he says first, lay aside every weight and sin. There seems to be things, if you will, if you want to use this picture of running a race for the glory of Christ, trying to run this Christian life, that sin weighs us down, but there are other things that are heavy that aren't beneficial in you pursuing and being uh, pursuing and living this life with Jesus. What are those things? For me, I'll give you just a couple. I won't give you my whole list this time. For me, I have a real addictive personality. I just do. You can ask the guys on staff, where's Dane? If, he's, if you see him around, ask him how Joe plays games. I can't game. I'm just, the guys my age and younger like to play games. I just can't. Because if I get a console, computer game, or even a game on my phone, I will play that game every second of the day. It will consume my heart, it will consume my mind, and it robs my affections for Christ. Because it's just something that I do. I think about it. I don't, you can even ask my wife. I just have to leave it. Don't have any of that on my phone. Can't have any of that. Stay away because I know it robs my affections for Jesus. Same with, same with series. It does the same in my heart. If I watch too much at once, man, I just get consumed in it. I remember when I was 15 years old, I was given the season called Small, Smallville. It's, a, it's about uh, Superman, Clark Kent. And man, I, I would watch it. My youth pastor would give it to me in the box set. We didn't have Netflix and all those kinds of stuff. So I'd watch it. And I'd watch it from Friday to Sunday and it was done. 24 episodes, flat out. To a point that I'd wake up on Monday morning thinking about situations. How would Clark Kent react in that situation? Man, it robs my affections for Jesus. Social media does the same. I've got to be weary how much time I spend on it because there's so much negativity. There's so much hate. There's so much division. There's so much fake news that's trying to uh, stir up anger among me. And I, I fall into the trap. I've got to weary. I've got to be weary of it. 
But watch out. The only time I really go on at the moment is when Liverpool win, and I need to let everyone know. You've got to avoid it. What are the things that rob you of Christ? Get rid of it. Run away from it. So that you might draw near to him. And, and there's some things that start to happen when we get this right. This is gonna, when we get this right, I want you to notice this. is with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. There starts to be a change. Man, our, 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 our minds start to change. Our hearts start to change. And we start to be different. Do you see that? You see, but I want you to notice something. That it is first coming to Christ and then the change happens. It's coming and spending time and drawing near to God that results in change. Don't look at your life and say, man, I've messed up a lot recently. Therefore, let me sort that out before I draw near to Christ. No, no. Christ has made this way. It is in his work alone. Draw near to him. And it will shape you and change you. And, and what happens is there's this character change that starts to take place in your life. And if you are struggling with sin this morning and battling a lot, might I suggest to you, it probably might be that you are not drawing near to Christ. You're not drawing to Him often enough. You're not seeking Him as, as much as you should. Because when we do that, there is change that starts to take place. Draw near to Him. Draw near to Him because He changes you. Let's look at the, the second letter. That was the longest one. Don't worry, don't panic. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. This is awesome. This is an encouragement here of perseverance. Continue on persevering. But what we need to realize is that this encouragement of persevering comes after the encouragement to uh, draw near. That these two of, of drawing near and holding fast, of perseverance, are so intertwinedly connected, you cannot separate them. It is not possible, church, for you to be able to persevere if you do not draw near to God. It is not. Drawing near to God is what motivates us and gives us the power to be able to persevere. And what do we mean by perseverance here? And I think there's two ways in which we can look at it. And I think both are right. I think the right of Hebrews is talking about the one. And the first one is perseverance through difficult times. Right? Man, when, when life throws you the storms and, and, and when you're going in through the valleys and all those uh, lovely pictures we like to use about difficult moments, when life is tough and there's trials, the only way in which you are going to be able to persevere through the other side well is by being in the presence of God often. Because it's in the midst of the storm that we often take our eyes of Christ. It's in the midst of the storm that we start focusing on the storm rather than on Jesus. But when we are drawing near to him in those storms, what do we see? We see the calmer of the storms. And we realize who's in control of it. His character is good. He's sovereign. He's the Lion of Judah who rules powerfully. Man, it is persevering through difficult moments means you need to draw near Christ. But I think what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here when he talks about perseverance is living a faithful Christian life, being obedient. Man, that's tough, right? It's difficult. Let's be honest. We've just gone through the Sermon of the Mount. We, we're still going through it. 
We've just gone through chapter 5 and how, wow, that was tough. The Beatitudes, how they challenged the heart, how, how to be salt and light of the world. Do not lust with your eyes. Do not do this. Do not do that. Man, difficult stuff. Difficult, difficult stuff. It is hard to do it. And in moments when there are pressures from the world, pressures on the outside, so often we just want to give up. But here he says, no, no, no. Draw near Christ. He will give you the strength. Because the reality of the matter is while salvation comes only through Jesus, so the ability to live uh, for his glory is only done by stemming and sapping off him. We have to rely on Christ in order to be able to live this life to be able to do it well, nothing else. And so he goes on to, to give us a little bit more uh, motivation in this as well. He says here that um, we need to hold fast for he who has promised is faithful. We spoke about this during the Christmas series on, on, the, uh, on, on the 16th. We spoke about how God is a promise keeper. It's in the moments of this difficult trial and, and, and difficult um, uh, strength of trying to live out this Christian life that we often want to give in and throw in the towel. When temptation arises around us to, to live the lives that we desire rather than what Christ does, when, when our friends and colleagues and family members are mocking us because of our faith and not doing what they're doing, there is this desire in our hearts to be able to throw in the towel, to give up. And there's even a point in which we, we, we start to question, is God really going to give me what he promises? Is it really more satisfactory to have Jesus rather than this? Is it really more beneficial for me to live this life so I might have all that God has to offer rather than me just living this life of luxury and, and enjoy that I want now? But in those moments of doubt and questioning, it comes the moment where we have to realize that our God is faithful for he keeps promises. It's, it's by looking back on, on Christmas Day and re reminding ourselves that he sent Christ, that he, he shaped history, he shaped nations, he shaped peoples, all so that he might send Jesus to come and live a life that was perfect, so that he might die and take away our sins, so that we might be reconciled to him and enjoy him. Surely if he would do all of that, suffer all of that for you and me, then he would give us all things that we ask for. That he would give us the joys that he has promised. Why would he do all of that and then abandon us at the end? He would not. So there's this perseverance that comes. Knowing, I will be faithful for he is faithful. He promises he will sustain me. He promises me this is how life should be lived. He promises me this is where life is in him and nowhere else. And so we trust in him because he is faithful. And so we persevere by drawing near and living a life for the glory of Christ. Lastly, let us look at it. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not neglect meeting together. This is an incredible verse. Just like the first verse and the second verse were intertwined, so this is the climax of it all. This one, the other two are dependent on this one. It is not possible, this is important, it's not possible to draw near to Christ fully, to persevere fully without doing it together, without doing it in community, 
It is in community and living as the church that we are able to know Christ well and as fully as he offers. And it is by being together that we are able to persevere fully, living lives that are faithful and lives in difficult moments. We cannot do it by ourselves. And you might ask, why? Why can't we draw close to God and grasp him fully by ourselves? So what are we what are we going to realize is what has God saved us into? Man, he, he saved us out of slavery of sin, but he, what did he save us into? He saved us into a family. He saved us into a body. And if you, this is how the way he's designed it to be. If you are wanting to know God best, you need to do it in family, not in isolation. You cannot know the fullness of God by yourself. You cannot experience the height, the depth, the width, and the length of his fullness of his love by yourself. We see that in Ephesians 3. You need to make sure you do it with the body of Christ. You can't persevere by yourself. I mean, I mean, this is kind of logical, right? We're stronger together than we are by ourselves. We, we're better as a team and as a family working with one passion and one goal for the glory of Christ than we are as individuals. We do it best to each other. We, we stir up in one another love and good works together, not by ourselves. When one is weary and one is weak, man, the rest is able to come and go, come on, let's do this thing. Let's go. We're able to do it together. Now, now hear me here. When he talks here about church, well, firstly, how do we get a part of this church? Well, it's by believing in Christ. Church attendance by itself, just rocking up here, is not good enough. It's, it's about living for Jesus, by knowing Jesus that gets us into this body. It's only for those who believe in Christ that are part of the family. And that there, if you will, gets us into the, the universal church, the, all the Christians in the world, that part of one big family. But when I think he speaks here about a community and about loving one another, I think he's talking about the local church. I think he's talking about us. But attendance is not it fully. Rocking up here on a Sunday does not make you properly a part of the body of Christ. Church is not attending and hearing somebody preach. Church is a body of believers who've made a covenant to each other and God to live life together, to do this thing called life together, to have meals with each other, to do our hobbies with each other, whether that's cycling or reading or, or hiking or, or going for walks, taking your kids to the park. It's, it's about doing life together. That's where community is found in. That's what he's talking about here. And you might say to me, Joe, and the, the beauty of that is, is that you already do all those things. You already go for the walks. You already take your dogs for a walk on the beach. You already take your kids to the park. You already have supper, hopefully. You already have all those things. You're just inviting somebody else to do alongside you, to live life together as you journey and encourage each other to live for Christ. And you might say to me, Joe, I'm busy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm lazy after work. I'm an introvert. I don't like people. And I, I, I get those things because I feel those too. But might I suggest that this is massive because it this impacts perseverance and drawing near to God. This impacts the way we experience our God. It's not about how tired you are every day after work. And therefore, that's okay. It's, it's not about 
if you're an introvert and you don't like people. It's not about those things. It's about making sure you get the most of who God is and doing it together in order that you might get it. Does that make sense? So that's what we weigh up. Laziness, don't want to spend time with people. Man, I want to do life so that I might know more of Jesus, so that I might get him, that I might experience the riches and the wonder of what is offered to me in God. Church, if we get this right, it encapsulates all of what the Christian life is about. And I'll close with this. These three letters have different things. in The first letter talks about faith. The second one about hope. And the third one about love. It encapsulates the whole of Christianity. When we get this right, man, we are going to experience all that God has for us. Make a plan. Let's do it because God has made a way. Let us pray. Lord, it is incredible that we are able to know you. To know the wonders that you have to offer for us because of what Christ has done. It's a wonderful privilege that we, as Matt said this morning, we are rich in Jesus because we have all of God. That is incredible. But Lord, we don't want to be haphazard about it. We don't want to be unintentional. We don't want to be blasé. We want to be a people that are intentionally seeking and desiring you as much as possible. Would you help us to draw near? What are the things that stir up in our hearts affections for Christ? Would you show us that Holy Spirit? Would you show us the things that rob us of affections for Jesus so that we might live for the glory of God and not waste our time on things that don't, so that we may have more of Christ. Help us to persevere, Lord. Help us to hold fast to this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and it's only by him that we know this Jesus, know this God. Would you help us, Lord, to do it together? Help us to live life and do it well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.